Music Theater of Madison presents 10 Days in a Madhouse, a podcast and workshop of a new musical by Jennifer Hedstrom and Karen Sari, commissioned and directed by Megan Randolph and Music Theater of Madison. 10 Days in a Madhouse is about journalist Nellie Bly's time at Blackwell's Island Insane Asylum. In 1887, the groundbreaking journalist got herself committed in order to expose the atrocities taking place. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, the Frank Young Fund for New Musicals through the National Alliance for Musical Theater. This fund provides grants for new musicals in all stages of development at theaters across the country. Learn more at namt.org. We are also supported by Dane Arts, who works to amplify Dane County's meaningful cultural legacy through a variety of activities, which you can learn more about at danearts.com. And Orange Tree Imports, a local shop for fun gifts, seasonal delights, and kitchen tools. Learn more at orangetreeimports.com. We are looking for your feedback as we move to the final production stage of this musical. Please visit mtmadison.com to fill out our feedback form or email us or contact us another way. This is an important part of the workshop process. On our website, you can see renderings of the costumes by Shannon Hebler and the set by Aaron Ball. You will also find info on the actors in our virtual program, resources on Nellie Bly, and more. Music Theater of Madison is a 14-year-old professional musical theater company in Madison, Wisconsin. We focus on the new and different in musical theater. And we know it's a tough time for a lot of people, but if you're able, we'd be very grateful for a donation to help sustain MTM's programming as we look to a future that is very different from what we'd imagined, but no less exciting. You can make a contribution at mtmadison.com. Every dollar counts, and we are so grateful that you're listening. Okay, well, hello, everybody. Here we are for the last time now to talk about 10 days and this time it is just me Megan Randolph director and producer as well as book writer and co-lyricist Karen Sari and co-lyricist and composer Jennifer Hedstrom let's just start off and talk a little bit about what this project meant uh, doing it virtually so the plan was originally to try and do it in a room you know socially distanced but as COVID cases surged, we just realized that wasn't safe. And so we put together this plan to do it virtually and it was nuts. Uh, so everybody got a little recorder. We had a day where everybody recorded the dialogue and we recorded it all from home. And then we had the music. Uh, it was it was crazy. Jennifer, do you want to talk a little bit about how we did the music? Yeah, it was a huge challenge because normally, especially in the songs where there's a lot of people singing, normally people could listen to each other and intuit what the other person is going to do. But everyone was recording their vocals in a separate room. And also I and also my assistant music director, Evan Lang, recorded the piano or the instrumental part on our own as well. So we started by either one of us recording the piano part and then to assist the singers to know, you know, when they're supposed to come in, when they're supposed to cut off since I can't be, you know, there conducting them live. We often did videos that we synced up with the recording. So I did a lot where I conducted from the piano and Evan did some where he was 
like formally conducting and we also added like metronomes and other things to assist the singers we we played along with some of the parts and the choral pieces just because we wanted the singers to feel supported in some way since they were going to be recording this all by themselves when normally they would be surrounded by this cohort of fellow singers and instrumentalists and and such so it's quite involved to get the music done yeah and absolutely crazy to ask singers to do a group number <laughs> the many acapella moments in this show bottom of the river of course but um also the the hums at the beginning of act two and just so much of it they they were troopers because there were a few times we we're like mm, you got to do that again mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody individually in their home with their own recorder it was insane and i will give a shout out to Kristen Emery, who is our company manager and our sort of production manager for this, who just ran around and did crazy scheduling stuff. And it was amazing. She's she's a trooper. And then our two incredible sound designers, uh, sound engineers who cleaned it all up, made it made it sound beautiful and professional. And uh, Adam Kudashat added a ton of amazing soundscapes and he would send them to me and say well what do you think of this sound effect and I'd send it back and say well do you have this is actually supposed to be night in this scene do you have anything with owls in it (laughs) stupid requests (laughs) like that they'd be like no I can't put an owl in that I'll find something else and so what do you think of this door slam versus this door slam and there's just (laughs) things like that that was just so tedious in a way that I'm not used to working necessarily i mean there's there's a different kind of specificity that goes into directing a show a live show because you see it i mean you have to have the specifics and you have the many production meetings and how things are going to work but you see it coming together as you're going you start to see it forming and for the longest time this show was just like like in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where they send the, the chocolate bar up into the the ceiling and it's a million pieces. Yeah. And that's why I kind of felt like it's going to be up there forever. This thing is never going to all be in one piece. And then suddenly, boom, it was it was in one piece. Like it just happened so fast. And I was like, well, this turned out really nicely. <laughs> but we we got lucky. We had a team of amazing people behind us and the actors, I can't say enough about like they had little sound booths they built in their homes like little like they were in closets and like under under blankets and stuff to not pick up outside noise and so it was just uh it was incredible it was a real testament to the artists in this area and to how committed everybody was to this project i would say and jennifer and evan did have to do just an insane amount of work to make all of that work with the music it's just it's just crazy people you know what i did not have a concept of it and now i do i'm really glad we did it <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very different so i'll quit um babbling for a little while and let me ask you guys um listening back to the podcast and karen we'll start with you what would you say was something that struck you as it's yeah something that struck you either surprising or something that you didn't know or that was that was helpful well first of all i have to say um i wasn't expecting as many sound effects as we had 
Like I thought, oh, there's going to be a few here and there. And so when I listened to it and I'm hearing footsteps across the floor, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, that was, that was a thrill. And I was like, oh shoot, I wish I would have cut out some of the stage directions that I moved around. (laughs) I think people could have filled in the blanks pretty well. Um, with that and um but it was just it was amazing i just appreciate adam and and scott's artistry and jennifer as well just listening to it i was like one thing that struck me was you know of course just as the writer you're you're always you're always your own worst critic right (laughs) there were certain lines where i went oh you know what i i i that that just doesn't work or as i'm picturing it there were just some moments where where I plenty of moments I realized I needed to like go back and fix and adjust but also I was surprised and impressed at the actors and your direction with how well some of them seem to work so well together even though they're not even in the same room to like act off each other like there were just some really nice moments where if it, I wouldn't have guessed if I, if I were somebody else com, com, in, coming into this from, um, with knowing nothing about it, I would have been really surprised to go, oh, wait, so Nellie and Anne aren't even in the same room because they sound like they're moving off each other. Um, uh, so I was really impressed by that. Yeah. And it was, it was something that I, I wanted to do. I was to have us all, we just had one long day where we were just on zoom all day and we i wanted to be recording off of each other you know i didn't want to give everybody their lines and say go home and you know say all your lines independently and we'll just a that would have just been a nightmare for scott and adam to try to put together but b you know it just it it gave them at least that (laughs) you know at least they could hear each other and at least we could do a couple of takes and was there anything that um Karen, that made you sort of think about the future or something you want to, from listening to it in full, something that made you go, okay, here's what I want to work on next? Oh, I definitely, I, you know, Jennifer and I had, and, and the three of us had talked already about, you know, adding a couple songs for some characters, Mrs. Freeman, notably. And as I listened, I, I remember just going, you know what? Yeah. I want more of that character too. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to to delve into that. And it's nice, honestly, this is kind of how I tend to write anyway. I, I, I like to write so that I'm adding more mm-hmm. versus, well, now what do I take? I find cutting to be too hard. I'd rather add yeah. or play around with stuff. And so I'm excited that we, we get to do that. For sure. Jennifer, so same question to you. What uh, What surprised you? What made you want to make changes? What made you feel really good about yourself? What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was super fun, despite how um, stressful putting together the music was. It was super fun to be able to just listen to it because normally, um, like for the first reading, I was playing while, like during the show. And it just, there was a different level of listening I was able to do when I didn't have to also like execute what I'm doing at the piano and like conduct everyone in and stuff. So it was really nice to just be able like sit back and listen. I mean, definitely I just had like, there were, when I listened back to like 
the baths um for example which is one of my favorite songs i think that i did for the show i was like oh yeah that sounds cool (laughs) (laughs) it does that's one of my favorites too it was also helpful for me in noticing like how songs fit into like the flow of the show especially after we had done some edits after the reading songs that had existed already but now we're surrounded by different things like hit me sometimes that hit me in a different way i was like oh that that actually like felt kind of out of place all of a sudden like maybe we need to i don't know like put something different around it and then there was also like the song useful and unseen like suddenly felt like so short to me like when i just listened back to it Mm -hmm. i was like oh my gosh it's over already Mm -hmm. and so i was like oh maybe i should flesh out that song more you know so i think for me it was it was some of just like thinking about how we frame the songs and working on that a little bit and also just certain songs that I definitely want to like tweak a little more. And then um, there are some songs that like we've talked about adding, like Karen just said, adding a song for Mrs. Freeman. But I had some other moments where I was listening and I was like, hmm, that seems like a scene that could like naturally really build into a song. So just thinking about that sort of song placement and, and how we we lead in and out of them. Yeah, I think it'll be so nice um, to have this audio reference to go back to. Definitely, it's you know it'll be it would have been one thing to experience it live and and have it the way that we normally would have done it, which would have been like in a big room and and a semi staged reading and a talk back afterward. But I think this is this is equally beneficial and beneficial in a different way yeah a much more i think analytical way uh because we don't have the nerves of like performing live and trying to get things going in a live audience and i mm-hmm. think it's just yeah a very different experience in the feedback that we got so we were talking it on the last episode with our with our panel about the things that people mention even in different ways you know no matter what the opinions are you put a kind of a circle on it and i would say the things that came up the most um, in the comments we got and with the panel um, were face-to-face with self, just figuring out how the, just the, the missing piece in that song so that it doesn't feel so much like exposition, mm-hmm. even though it is literally what she did. She, you know, she stayed up all night and told her life story to herself. So that song and uh, characterizations and uh, building more, particularly people wanted to know more about the doctors and the nurses, which was interesting to me, especially the nurses and and nurse group and how she just got so awful. (laughs) So I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that people mentioned. And then finally, just sort of Nellie's characterization and Nellie's journey and how we build her and take her maybe a little bit out of the book. Uh, I would say those were the three common denominators that, that came up for me. I'll tell you the positive things that I heard. People loved the bath song. They love Tilly. Everybody's rooting for Tilly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, <laughs> people loved just the way that Tilly was written and the, the relationship between um, Tilly and the other patience and her song people loved ribbons and skirts is another one that 
honestly, I think should be a little bit longer. I played it for my, my family and my brother goes, wait, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Can you play it again? (laughs) So he wanted, he loved that song. And I love that song too. That's another one that came up a lot. So I guess let's start and talk a little bit about face to face with self and just some of some of the things. So we sort of had a little email conversation and we're not really sure, you know, some of the the suggestions we got from the panel were to sort of find an emotional component of that song to make it work better um, because it is such a great song and it's such an important song and it's it's just so pretty. So I don't know what what have you guys been thinking about that song well as i i think i said in one of the earlier episodes that was a song i even went into this like particular draft knowing that it still required work so i was actually very pleased to receive feedback on it mm-hmm. i found that really helpful it's like hear from another person's perspective and something that really struck me that i think nathan said was about like how can we take some of the moments in face to face with self that she references and bring them back later in the show mm-hmm. as sort of like a a deepening of of uh Nellie's kind of fear that she might actually go mad in the madhouse and then also using themes from later in the show and that was actually something that Erica Halverson who um plays Sarah Fishbaum she had told me like that little theme do something that thing Mm -hmm. she said like i feel like that should be earlier in the show like that should be in the opening (laughs) i feel like it's the whole point so and he and nathan said like the nelly bly that that should be like in face to face with self and i was like "Hmm, this is a really interesting idea to kind of take some things maybe from the finale and kind of like foreshadow them a little bit in that song because they do kind of relate to just like her drive, I guess. Like, why is she doing this? So I have a lot to think about with playing with the content of the song, but then continuing to make the content feel relevant to the rest of the show, I think, too. So that the song isn't just the standalone right. piece. I think that's, yeah, absolutely. Having it be the first time we hear certain melodies and you know, you talk about the fear, and I think the fear is is crucial uh, for this show and something we can really play up in the staging and when we're bringing it to life, the fear of so many things, of, of mm-hmm. all of the things that are at stake. Karen, did you have any thoughts on that song? Or Only like, a part of um, like a thought process or idea that I want to, you know, explore with Jennifer later on, because I've been thinking more and more about um, finding an opportunity or opportunities for some kind of through line for Nellie. I don't know what that looks like yet. Is it journal entries? Is it snippets of the book? Something that I try to avoid as a writer, and I I think I just need to get over it, (laughs) is I do try to avoid having a main character just tell us what's happening right? Like, I'd rather show it than have a character explain it. But at the same time, maybe there's a way she can be she can be relating to a, to the audience that's not talking at them and saying, this is what's going to happen now. I feel like there's there might be a way to do that and kind of setting up that song 
you know, I wonder if, and that that's just, that's just one of the things I've been thinking about. Obviously, Jennifer and I will, you know, we'll kind of dive into this and explore that. It's such a beautiful song. Um, I think one thing that everybody agreed on is like how that, like, that beautiful earworm you've created. Mm. <laughs> However we show it, I want to make sure that it, you know, we're, we're supporting that song as, as well as we can. Definitely. A lot of characters and backstories that I think would be fun. And it's, it's certainly tough because there are a lot of characters in this musical and a lot of characters that are, I would say everybody is very interesting because they're all in an asylum. I mean, it's, we had way back in the day, we had talked about doing sort of an orange is the new black kind of thing with this because <laughs> there were so many people to cover and they all had a story and we, you know, that ended up getting scrapped and I, I think that's fine, but how do we develop some of these other characters and why they're there? Uh, in particular, I think the ones that don't talk as much. So Mrs. Freeman, certainly. And and that was always, we added Mrs. Freeman like last spring. Um, and the idea was, okay, we're, for the workshop or for this next stage, she won't have much to do, but we're going to find other ways for her to be to have a, sort of a larger presence. And of course, if she's, you know, if she doesn't speak, then when we see it, she will have a larger presence that way that I think will be very haunting the way that you've written it. So some of those characters and also the nurses. And so what are, Karen, what's your thought on a backstory? Well, why don't you tell us maybe, and I'm going to put you on the spot, like, a, or I guess this is an actual woman you based this off of, Nurse Group, right? Yeah, she's a combination of of a bunch of nasty nurses. <laughs> yeah, but they came from the prisons. Yeah. So tell us like a little more about the backstory for Nurse Group. Yeah, so Nurse Group, uh, the backstory we created for her was, yeah, she had been in the women's penitentiary just a little, little ways up the island. And when she was released... She'd been a prostitute because one of the things that Jennifer and I uh, talked about early on was what if we make her an attractive woman who, you know, now she's in a position where she actually has some control that she's never had before. And she is angry. She's got a lot of anger. So that's kind of the backstory we created between us so that we could build her. It will be interesting to maybe dive into you know, to explore diving into that a little bit more. Yeah, I think when you have a villain, I mean, at least for, for an actor, it's really helpful the more information you have to build the way that they are because nobody thinks they're evil. Because she's so bitter and because she has that song about I've been through worse, I've been punished, and because she is just so cruel and in a in a situation where you see so many women banding together and then you have a woman trying to destroy that camaraderie and, and destroy their, their psyches. You know, I think the, I think a why, I think the, the why for her is going to be something important that we should explore for next year. Uh, another one was uh, Mrs. Ramirez was a person that I think we can build a little bit more and and certainly when we, you know we can always we will work with the actors to do a lot of this because certainly there's no script where you have all of the backstory in the 
in the script. You, you always have to create some of it yourself. Tell me some more about Mrs. Ramirez and what your backstory was for her. I think this is in the script. One of the things I was envisioned for Mrs. Ramirez is that when she, spoiler alert if you're listening to this first, <laughs> when she's released, she's one of the people we actually do see leave during the finale, like leave the asylum. I always envision there just being of a sharp contrast. So she's in this current version, you know, she's in the same drab clothes as everybody else. And she's always finding something to do with her hands with cloth. Mm -hmm. And she gives them to Louise. And what I've always envisioned is at the end, we see her in this, like when she's leaving, she's in the most beautiful, vibrant, colorful dress that would be acceptable for that time period. And so she's got this vibrant spirit and she's just been shushed aside because she doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. I sort of love that we have a character in the show that is speaking Spanish, which means that some people who are not fluent in Spanish in the audience might not understand everything she's saying. So in the song, actually, lyrically, when she's singing her verse, she's singing about her life as a dressmaker and how she was so proud to make these beautiful dresses for women in Mexico. And the last line of that is that if she could, she would love to make one for Louise because they form this connection. Unless you know the language, you're not going to catch that part of her backstory. So it's this interesting thing to me where part of me is like, well, I kind of want it to be a mystery to the people who don't know because that's how it would be sure. in real life. But then also... She has such a wonderfully interesting backstory. So how do we find that balance of not like having to translate everything for the audience? And that's like sort of a special gift to the people who are Spanish speakers almost. Yes, I tend to feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And we have talked about, I, think, I know there was one idea that came up, um, but I think it was just, it was a little too late in the process to, to add it in. I think there are opportunities to maybe give us a hint to kind of drop some breadcrumbs, right? About like who she is. Um, one of the ideas is when they're folding laundry, she fashions a dress out of one yeah. of the sheets. There's opportunities where we can show that. Sure. And you can kind of figure it out. Yeah. I love that. And you know, some of these things it's, we have the next step to go to. So the writing for that person may be, may be done. You know, all these characters that don't speak as much, we still have to make sure that we get their story in some other way. We could probably add more speaking for her, but mm -hmm. it'll be in Spanish. I love that. So the last thing in terms of feedback that we got, I think, was just wanting to know a little bit more about Nellie and who she was and, and why she did this, what made her so tenacious and also to see some more of that tenacity, I think, in her. And again, it's so different listening to it than seeing it and, you know, feeling it throughout. But what are your thoughts on some things maybe we should look at for Nellie going forward? I think there's a real opportunity um, in the opening. People seem to have responded really well to that new opening. Oh, I love it. I love it. But I think we can enhance that so that there is like a bigger build and and we get to know her a little bit better mm -hmm. and we've talked also a little bit about just enhancing Pulitzer's 
moment. The more I think about it after our discussion um, a few days ago, I thought, you know, that's right. This is a great opportunity to really show how ahead of her time she was, too. Like, she was not, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she was intimidated, but I mean, she was just like, nope, <laughs> I'm here for a job. And, you know, she went after it, even though she was talking to one of the most powerful men in journalism at that time. I think there's an opportunity there to, to really really show yeah. it. And in such a feminist story, I mean, the, we don't really have many situations where the, where since the men have pretty small roles in this, we don't really have situations where any of the women are interacting with the men very much. And not that we necessarily want more, more man time, but <laughs> I think that, yes, exactly what you said. It's, it gives us an opportunity to, understand the the world that we're in as well and the world that she was in trying to make it as a as a professional writer in the the women's sphere changing the women's sphere which was the glass ceiling i guess in the 1880s so yeah <laughs> uh what do you think jen i really also love the idea of expanding the opening and something that really struck me when we talked with the panel uh someone brought up the something that we had said in the earlier episodes about the history of like her getting that job and how it's not really known if the story was her idea or Pulitzer's idea. And so that made me really think about like the difference in those choices and what they would mean. Right. So if we keep it where it's Pulitzer's idea and we give up, that gives us an opportunity to give her a bigger decision-making moment. But then what if we make it that she like walks into the office and Pulitzer's like, okay, you want a job? Like, tell me your ideas. And maybe it's one of Nellie's ideas. And that would be such a really interesting spin on it too. So I think we have opportunity there to like make that a moment where we see that spark that she has. Mm -hmm. And then also going back to face-to-face -face with self and thinking about, you know, I try, I actually tried when I was writing that song to pick moments that I thought were sort of, applicable this time around and that I thought showcased her character. But of course, again, that idea of like keeping those things later in the show, sort of her spunkiness and also the fact that she like, she, when her mother was filing for divorce, which was like that there, that was not easily accomplished in that time period for women. And she like Nellie testified in front of the court when she was like a teenager and that was like sort of empowering for her because she had this really like huge devotion to her mother. And she did this thing where she stood up in front of the court at a young age and told them like, yeah, my stepfather said all these things and he beat her and he did this. And she was just honest in a moment that was probably really intimidating considering how infrequently women could successfully win those divorce cases. So I think about, okay, if she can do that at that age, then how can we show those same, that same kind of power in her character in the way she interacts at the asylum? Another thing that we've talked about is really showing Nellie's, we, we think of her, we, we see her as being very strong and yes, she gets concerned, but we should really take a good hard look at, okay, so there has to be some trauma <laughs> like 
from, you know, this, so much from her childhood. And, you know, yes, she's been a fighter and she's fought back from it, but how has that affected her psyche and where is she fragile? Mm-hmm. Exploring that and finding, finding moments to maybe show just a little bit of that fragility, I think will be exciting. I, I totally agree. The fragility and we talked about the changes to the beginning and how I feel like as an actor, if it were me, that would really snowball me into a different place. Spending some more time on her getting the job and on, on her, on the things like you said that are, that make her fragile, I think would give her and give the audience a really nice way of getting into the asylum, getting into the place that's scary. And if we establish some of her fears in face to face with self and early on how those triggers can come back once she's in the asylum, you know, some of the, maybe some subtle things we can do are not so subtle things that, that sort of call back to face to face with self or to other things where we see those moments of weakness, you know, thinking about helping her mother divorce the man who was so abusive. I wonder if that's a, that's sort of a place she goes back to when she gets afraid. She goes, okay, well, I did that when I was 16, so I can do this. Yeah, yeah. But then thinking is face-to-face with self a series of her starting to doubt herself and then pulling herself back. Yes, I can do this. I can Mm -hmm. do this. You know, something to be fighting for. So I think there's so much, and there's so much to her as a person that we can work with. But the vulnerability... Which, you know, it comes through a bit in the writing, but to me it just, it just, the word that you used to describe her, Karen, in in auditions was arrogant. (laughs) And I think that's really true. I think that she, she had to be arrogant to be doing what she was doing, but I think the arrogance too is, is a defense mechanism. Yes. She's a bit of a showboater, you know, and I think a lot of that show, I mean, even if you read the book, it's almost comical, but in this very endearing way where she's, she'll talk about her appearance. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my beautiful blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> she's not afraid to talk herself up in that way. And that's great. It's what made her successful. But at the same time, she does it so often that I'm like, I, where's, what is that covering up? Mm-hmm. What is that patching over? Yeah. Textbook insecurity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. One of the last things we wanted to touch on was just thinking about staging for this. So that was really fun for me to get to go back so many times and listen to things and, you know, pay attention to some of the details in, in this stage that I would normally be thinking about when we're in a full production. Um, and talking about how we want to put this together. And for me, I really want to emphasize, I mentioned this to you guys, and again, getting to the fear and the stakes. We talked about making not making the asylum too dreary. It actually was this very lovely sort of, well, not lovely, I'm sure it was horrible, but it was this, um, <laughs> this, uh, cream color you know sort of a one floor with a cuckoo's nest vibe i think of uh you know that traditional white walls calming people but it just feels so so much darker to me than that so i think we you know from our design standpoint finding that balance thinking about lighting and shadows 
and I'm not a sound person by, I'm not a tech person really at all, but um, sound is like the least of my knowledge. But working with Adam on the, the soundscapes for this got me to thinking about just how powerful sound is going to be in terms of setting the mood for this place. So offstage screams and whispers and, you know, seeing people around making strange noises and pounding and and just things to, to make the audience feel unsettled, to even give the actors a little bit to make them feel unsettled. And another thing we talked about uh, with uh, our assistant director, Maureen, who's going to do some movement for us next, whenever we stage this, which is hopefully next summer, caveat, it may not be, <laughs> thanks to COVID, but hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. But anyway, whenever we do it, she's going to do some movement for us. Uh, and we were talking about the movement and particularly in the bath scene, just because there are some logistics that uh, are going to make it difficult. And I had mentioned to me, there are the moments, any of the moments where characters sort of dissociate for one reason or another feel to me like very abstract moments, very abstract storytelling and therefore abstract ways that will stage those numbers. And we have a good combination here of, people in reality and people in the moment and people kind of going into another sphere. And, and one thing, one in particular, I think the most obvious one of those is the bath song. It's just been really fun to think about what that movement would look like. And I think adds, add some stomping to it. Cause you've got kind of that stomping beat thing in there already. And what are the women going through in their minds and this horrible torture? And I think, you know, I just want to get darker, I guess. It's, it's my thing. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a messed up person, but I, I like to think about the darkness and digging into the fear. We've had a lot of ideas for that song, but I think since I wrote the song, I could kind of imagine some movement to it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think for me, like getting to see that, I'm going to be so pumped. Oh, yeah. Basically. So, <laughs> the energy mm -hmm. also of the women, you know, singing towards the audience. I can imagine just a lot of um, good theater. Yeah. That whole end of act one sequence and going into um, story of me. It's just really, it's really powerful. And I do want to keep the shadow concept that you had, Karen, of we see the bath happen, you know, in sort of a shadow play way i think that that's still really cool what i just was i mean this is for people at home who may not know a lot about theater or think about this but um to actually pour water over their heads they'll be wearing body mics so that would be real real bad for the body mics <laughs> to dump water over their head and then it's the end of act one and they have to go back and they have 15, 20 minute intermission to dry their hair and put their hair back the way it was and fix their makeup and, you know, hopefully get a drink of water and pee if they need to, which is what intermission is for. And so it would be so cool to do water, though we just did water in our last show and that was, that was for the very end of the show. So that's the only reason we got away with it. And they weren't wearing mics. I think that challenges us, you know, to find find a more abstract way of, of doing it. Well, I think there's an opportunity to, to like play with the shadow idea more, you know, in terms of like mm -hmm. filling up the space. Yeah. If we were to keep that, 
maybe is all the more powerful because we've seen other shadowy moments and shadowy figures and now yeah. maybe it's almost like that's how we see like the others like the other myriad patients like we see shadows of figures that's exactly yeah. now we see the shadows of the people that we've got come to care about yeah i thought the exact same thing when we have our lighting that was something that came up at the reading was people wanting to feel the size of this place and and erin and her set design has made the windows very very tall just to give us a sense, you know, of people being dwarfed by the place. It's also hard, you know, to indicate the, how crowded it was. So I, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking was, sh- what can we do with shadows? Maybe hire a couple of ASMs to be shadow people <laughs> and shadow the people that are, <laughs> that are on stage, but maybe grab a couple of volunteers. Um, so we <laughs> have so much to think about, and this has been just extraordinary this summer and fall of work on this show and we'll continue into it and the plan for those who are marking their calendars is to do this uh, August 13th through the 21st of 2021 at the Play Circle in the Wisconsin Union however that might change and like everybody in the performing arts industry right now we're just rolling with the punches this show will be live we're not going to stream it. It needs to be live. It just needs to be live. So whenever that is able to happen, it will. And I just want to say I am just so more convinced than ever of the amount of talent in this community. I am more convinced than ever that people should look to their own communities to create new work and to find talent and to find beauty and creativity I think you guys are just extraordinary. Uh, this has been such a great, you've, you've created something so beautiful and you've worked so great, so beautifully together. And this team has been awesome. And it's just, and everybody's, everybody's local. Everybody's from Madison, Wisconsin for crying out loud. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add just in closing. For those who are listening, who've downloaded and listened and shared feedback or like, thank you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to anyone who took the time to listen. And thank you to everybody on the team. Mm. Like we said at the beginning of this episode, doing this virtually from like socially distance, everyone in their own home was such a huge undertaking. And I am just so grateful that everyone felt so strongly about keeping this going, doing some sort of workshop um, of this while we have to deal with this pandemic and everything. I'm just so grateful to everyone's commitment. Absolutely. Yeah, and very grateful to our audiences who listened and, yeah, and provided feedback. That's an awkward thing to do (laughs) when you kind of come up to an audience member and you're like, so what did you know? I really actually want to know what you thought. No, you don't have to compliment me. I want to know what you thought. (laughs) I don't think people are used to that. So the people that did share that were great. And just a reminder, you know, things are so tough and artists have showed unbelievable tenacity in this time. Everybody has, everybody has learned new skills and adapted in some way, in multiple ways. I just want to say the arts are, I believe the light that will get us out of this and Paula Vogel had some kind of quote about that about art getting us out of the darkness and getting us through to the end of our days and 
So the last, I would just encourage anyone who's listening to remember that artists have a lot to give and a lot to say, and they're in your own backyard. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. And we'll be back together and we'll be doing this thing and it's going to be great. And I can't wait. This will need to be the story of me.